When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Burden of Command podcast. I've got a great guest lined up for you today. So this gentleman is a West Point graduate. He served uh, in an armored brigade in Southwest Asia in the U.S. Army. He retired from the reserves as a lieutenant colonel, serves as a transition assistance officer uh, for his West Point class. Uh, He's on the board of the Tri-State Veterans Community Alliance, serves on the Service Academy Nominating Committee for his local congressman. And just to prove that there's no such thing as too much free time in a day, he's an author of the book Mission Transition, A Practical Guide for Veterans and Employers. His name is Matthew J. Lewis. Matt, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Cheryl. Thank you for having me. And uh, the topic of veterans is a personal passion project of mine. I'm sure we'll get into the book and uh, some of my other efforts underway, but uh, so glad to be here today and share it with your audience. Yeah, no, appreciate it. And, and before we dive into that, definitely want to talk about the transition piece for uh, for veterans, but uh, I just want to start you off where everybody does. The phrase burden of command, what does that mean to you? Well, to me, uh, the, the, the phrase harkens to a premise that in some sense takes on a bit of negativity. I kind of like to put a spin on that and view it as the opportunity to lead. And uh, so, you know, whatever task it is, whether it's, uh, you know, I I work at uh, uh, Deloitte during the day, whether it's that or any of my veterans related efforts, uh, numerous ones that you mentioned, uh, to me, it's an opportunity to lead. And it's part of that living out my, my personal passion, helping those that are most in need, being of service to them. And given that there's, you know, north of uh, 250,000 around figures coming out of the service every year, there's plenty of people to serve. Outstanding. I like that. And and as Matt kind of alluded to there, I kind of just hit the tip of the iceberg on his accomplishments. Uh, When we get later on and uh, he shares his his contact info, you'll see that, uh, yeah, Matt Matt doesn't waste a lot of time in a day, it doesn't seem like. So uh, I like that that you're you're staying busy there and uh, doing a lot of good work, it seems. Well, time flies when you're you're having fun, as they say, and uh, when you're Spending your time uh, dedicated to your, your strengths, as I call them, your personal passions, um, you, you can get a lot more done, it seems, than uh, if you're working in an area you don't have a lot of passion for. Yeah, that That is true. What was it uh, that Mark Twain said? If you make your vocation your vacation, you never work a day in your life? <laughs> That's exactly right. So, so, so there you go. Well, so, um, you know, veterans uh, transitioning uh, out of active service into, quote, the civilian world. How did that become such a kind of a passion point for you? Well, I've been around a little while. You rattled off some of what I've done. It hasn't uh, occurred overnight. Uh, You know, I have 
25 years of uniform of some sort, 20 years and counting in the corporate world. So I bring a fair perspective to it. When I left active duty way back in 1996, uh, these were the very early days of what at that point in time was called uh, ACAP, the Army Career Alumni Program, which was uh, the, the initial stages of what has turned into uh, Soldier for Life and its permutations, the other services, uh, Marine for Life, et cetera. And uh, it, it was literally administered within the last five days on active duty uh, while you got a million other things going on. It, it was a check the block exercise, pretty much the blind leading the blind. And so knowing that that's what it was and the struggle that I went through to find an appropriate landing spot, you know, I kind of took under myself just to, to reach back and help others with a process that worked for me. Uh, over the years, this process grew and grew, and I uh, consistently got a couple pieces of feedback. You know, one was a message of gratitude. Thanks for helping me out. But the other was, hey, there, there are lots of people following right behind me. We've got to find a way to scale this. Have you ever thought about writing a book? Uh, to which I always scoff because uh, I, I got a D in English, my plea beer at the academy. Uh, I didn't consider myself to be in the business of writing books. Well, fast forward a few more years, and now I have classmates leaving the service that have literally spent their entire adult lives and their families in service to the nation. And while there's been many improvements uh, with uh, the curricula around uh, Soldier for Life and uh, uh, Marine for Life, all, all the permutations, uh, they're, they're still largely left ending for themselves. And as I'm sure as we'll talk about the, the suicide numbers, which I believe to be directly correlated, bear this out. And so anger being one of the, the biggest motivations I grew tired of seeing this, and for me, it was kind of the straw broke the camel's back. I finally sat down and started putting pen to paper, and uh, some period of time, 18, 24 months later, I've, I had a book. So uh, HarperCollins is nice enough to, to publish it for me last September and uh, doing the best to get it in the hands of those that need it the most. Well, outstanding. We'll definitely have a link up to, to the book, and I think anybody listening to this who is a veteran – uh, getting ready to transition, uh, should, should give it a read because yeah, I, um, I, I separated from, uh, the Marine Corps in, in 1998. And, you know, by that time, uh, we had, it was about a week course, uh, transition assistance program is what they called it at, uh, Marine Corps Station Buford. Uh, but the one thing where I consider myself kind of lucky that some of my uh, fellow Marines didn't have at other bases was, Part of the class, we actually had a uh, a hiring official from uh, Emerson Electric uh, that came in and, and did a great class on interviewing and resume writing. And, uh, you know, that helped me transition a little bit more uh, easily from, uh, from, from service to the military or from the military service to the civilian sector. But it was still a struggle to kind of translate some of those some of those skills that, that I had as a Marine uh, into civilian uh, language. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to, you know, being able to field strip an M16 and put it back together in under such a certain amount of time. It's not a widely looked after skill set in the civilian world, right? That's right. Yeah, well, I was, I was a tanker, and uh, you don't see too many tanks rolling down your, your neighborhood street. So I, I was very much in the same mode in terms of having to reinvent myself. Yeah. So, well, so on that note, like, uh, you know, the kind of the standard uh, jargon or the kind of standard guidance when I was getting out was, well, you know, law enforcement, you can do this, you can do that. Yep. How how do veterans start 
thinking of that next level when they're in that that kind of like that terminal leave time frame where they have some time to be thinking or should they be thinking about it even sooner than that? Uh, very much sooner than that. And uh, as you'll see in my book, there's a, a stepwise guide uh, for getting into it. I, I've, I had uh, the opportunity to weigh in on the latest uh, round of uh, curriculum update and put forth a number of ideas, uh, thankfully, that had been adopted. And so you see improvements now, such as uh, them it being transitioning veterans, that is, being able to take the transition assistance program at least 18 months prior to their ETS. Mm. Uh, to to attend the course multiple times, uh, to attend it with their uh, spouses or partners, uh, and, and there are more you know improvements to come. Uh, there's still plenty of room for improvement, but these are definite uh, steps in the right direction. Uh, to your point around how to get at that, I'll just make a brief note about the, the way the book is structured. It, it is a field manual light guide. So, you know, those that grew up in the military, you, you, every, everything you did was governed by a field manual. The, the whole crawl, walk, run, step one, two, three, sort of an approach. It's exactly right. how the book is laid out. Lots of exercises, lots of visuals, uh, and a way to get at this. And uh, so the, the first couple chapters uh, really focus on uh, who you are as a person, what your personal strengths are, and how that drives what you could possibly do in uh, commercial industry, or for that matter, uh, you know, in government, if that's where you choose to stay, there's a decision tree that walked you through that as well. Yeah, to your point, you know, if I'd have listened to all of the the skill translators, you know, I'd have been a a, a security guard of some sort, a truck driver, uh, or, or something of that ilk, and uh, you know that that wasn't what I wanted to be at all. Uh, I, I personally use graduate school as a vehicle for myself. And, you know, given the forever GI Bill, pretty much everyone coming out has the opportunity to go back to school now, uh, largely on the government's dime. And, uh, you know, that gave me uh, a couple of years to deprogram as I saw it, to pick up some additional skill sets and better concentrate on uh, what I was passionate about and, and what I wanted to do. Uh, and that was to become an operator. The, the important point of that process, and, and I would urge them to take full advantage of that 18 months, because you, you you don't believe it at the time, you kind of scoff. You know, I could certainly figure this out for a amount of time. Well, it's not an easy thing, and uh, the, the important point of that process is putting who before what. And what I mean by that is uh, understanding who you are as a person, what your personal strengths, what your personal passions are. To your earlier comment, uh, uh, the, the quote from Mark Twain. It's exactly right. If you can connect your personal passions with. Uh, how that translates in the real world, uh, you know, you'll never work a day in your life. And uh, by uh, studies that have been done over multiple decades, you're going to be successful 84% of the time uh, in terms of where you land. And, and that's incredibly important. If you start your transition, your focus on what, meaning listening to those skills translators, I've done X in the military, ergo, I need to do Y in the real world, you're only going to be successful about 26% of the time. Mm. And so, you know, focus on the who before what and why it's important that you land in your optimal career field from the outset. Again, studies have shown you will you will realize double your career earnings over the course of your career, your rate of retention and job satisfaction. I can't emphasize how incredibly important that is. 
Yeah, no, I mean, I, that that seems to me 100% because, uh, you know, my, my story and some of my listeners know is, is uh, I had some adverse reactions to the anthrax vaccine. So my, my career got cut a little short and it was kind of a sudden jolt. Like one minute I'm a Marine, the next minute I have orders, I've got 10 days and I'm out. And they were able to get me in that transition class inside of that 10 days. So I didn't have a lot of time to plan. And I ended up, because uh, I really had no other options in such a short amount of time, uh, going from being a, a uh, weather bubba in the Marine Corps to working at a factory in uh, northern Michigan uh, making faucets, basically. And, uh, you know, I definitely wasn't happy with that. That was well below my skill set. Uh, but all I knew was the weather training in the Marine Corps. So I started applying for jobs uh, with the federal government, and I was lucky enough to get in. And that satisfied me for a good chunk of time because it was a good living, good money. Uh, but then I realized that that who piece, that, that wasn't me. I really didn't have a passion for weather. That was just Uncle Sam said, that's what you're going to do. That was the skill set I had. That was my path to get a job making money. But I slowly, the, the happiness piece kind of degraded. And that's when I realized, you know, this, this leadership uh, development thing was really what, where my passion was. So you basically just told uh, my story, uh, and this is the first time we've talked. So <laughs> that was kind of interesting. <laughs> well, I've seen, it, I've seen it many times. So uh, now, again, and hopefully for the employers who are listening to this, you know, the, the military, depending on what branch and all that, you've got a wide range of jobs. It's not just people who can point the round into the weapon downrange and pop off some rounds. We've got, uh, we've got logistics people. We've got weather people. We've got uh, IT people. I mean, we've got pretty much every job that exists in the civilian sector yep. also exists in the military. That's right. You're, you're, you're spot on there. In fact, uh, with the second book uh, I'm working on right now, it's kind of the flip side of the first focus on the, the corporate world and uh, their ability to recognize and hire in a practical manner veterans. You know, it turns out uh, there's lots of stereotypes out there driven by, you know, Hollywood, mainstream media, what have you, uh, especially as of late with PTS and those sorts of things, uh, all of which are misnomers that I debunk in the book. Nonetheless, one of those key stereotypes, uh, when people think of the military, they think that everyone's a, a, a you know serves in a combat role. The, the reality is, less than fifteen percent of people in the military actually do. To your point, you know, greater than eighty-five percent uh, serve in a capacity that directly translates into the real world and who, whose skill sets can be immediately accredited to. Uh, those companies out there. So it's a huge opportunity that uh, most organizations don't know about. You know, to, to build on the, the whole transition roadmap, if you will, uh, and making your way from the service to these employers, there's still that last mile, as I call it, uh, at the doorstep of the prospective employers. And today, the, the shortcoming there, while it gets lots of press, and, and especially in recent years with the unemployment crisis we've had with veterans, th there's still... 80% of organizations out there that don't have veteran-specific recruiting programs. And of, of those that do, 71% uh, of them don't provide training to the hiring managers and recruiters. 52% don't provide onboarding and transition support for the veteran hires. So there's a, a huge opportunity on that end uh, to improve what veterans are realizing, even if they do successfully make their way into that initial career field that we just talked about. Yeah. 
No, that's that's good, uh, it's, and that's that's interesting information. And you know, the the other thing that I've I've seen uh, people struggle with, especially uh, uh, veterans who have made a career out of the service, is struggling with going up. If they, especially if they're in one of those kind of technical job fields, weighing their twenty plus years of experience versus, say, a master's degree. So, so how how can they kind of bridge that gap a little easier? Uh, well, it, it, those that have served for a career typically do have uh, some education, certainly at college level. Uh, many, uh, if you're looking at twenty plus years, you know, tend to have graduate degrees as well. I, I still wouldn't even with um, uh, that time in service discount the value in in an education, uh, both in terms of accruing additional skill sets as well as helping smooth the transition into the real world. Uh, what I could tell you, though, in my experience uh, in working with people over a number of years, those that have stayed in longer uh, find the transition to be that much more difficult, especially those that have departed short of 20 years, short of a, a full-blown pension. And, uh, you know, I, I hate to say it, but again, a white paper I'm working on at the moment, but transition uh, is directly correlated to uh, the the amount and rate of veteran suicides that we're seeing in the post 9-11 veteran environment. And, uh, you know, you recently had a a guest, uh, Corey Sheffer, that has the the Till Valhalla organization that kind of drove home this point. You know, studies show that it's it's not the number of deployments, it's not exposure to combat as a rule. Uh, it, correlation has much more to do with an unsatisfactory uh, transition uh, from the military. So it's, it's especially critical, and it gets that much more difficult uh, for those that have been in the service longer. Uh, yeah, no, exactly, and I'm glad you brought up uh, Corey, because I was going to bring him up a little bit later, but this is a perfect spot to do it, so thank you. You know, yeah, I mean, he, like you said, he made the point. It's it's more about, you know, and not even just veteran uh, suicide, but with first responders and uh, as well, going from this, like, this immense sense of purpose to if you haven't handled that transition process right and you don't have something next to move on to, uh, not having a sense of purpose. And that kind of eats and nags uh, at, at your, at those, uh, so there's a thing in psychology uh, called uh, moral injuries, right? And that's, that's kind right. of what leads up to PTSD-type symptoms. That's well, right. if you have a sense of purpose, uh, you know, that kind of acts like a cast, if you will, for those injuries. If you think of it as a broken bone, if you don't have that sense of purpose, then you're more prone to a full-blown breakage. That's right. And, and yeah, so, so I think uh, what I like about you tying that together is that hopefully – Anyone who is listening right now that, A, maybe at that point there's a path to, to get back on track, but B, if you're getting ready to transition now, everything that Matt's talking about here should have a lot more gravity to it so you don't put yourself in that boat, right? That's exactly right. You know, and, and you, you point to purpose. It's one of the components or what I call cultural dimensions in the book in making the transition. But part of why transition is so hard and I would direct readers to the last two chapters of the book, uh, the book of Mission Transition, uh, there's uh, approaching two dozen different cultural dimensions 
that you as a transitional veteran experience all simultaneously. Uh, that's why when you talk to those that have gone through it, they'll tell you, you know, it, it, there was many times in the course of a day where they would find their head spinning. And it's because they're experiencing things like a change in purpose, a change in leadership basis, a change in organizational structure, a change in power basis, uh, onboarding processes, training administration. I could go on and on and on. There's about two dozen different dimensions here, all of which change depending on the organization you're going to, whether it's a smaller organization or larger organization, could be changing drastically and simultaneously. So it, it is uh, not to be taken lightly and then uh, to your point, requires uh, quite a bit of self-reflection to, to figure this out for yourself. And, and again, the who before what and how that translates into a smooth landing in the real world. And, and that, uh, another thing, and this is, again, me speaking personally, is, is, you know, that made my transition a little bit more difficult is, you know, you had that sense of purpose, you had that sense of structure, you had this, you know, a lot of the things were kind of very rigid and, and expectations were set fairly high all the time and you come from that environment into the civilian world and, and by and large that's not there anymore you 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 gotta you gotta realize that you're not in the military anymore right at some point yep yeah, that's that's exactly right and uh the the sooner that you can um, assimilate and acclimate to both an organization and the new culture the better. And, and a key point in enabling that successful transition is to take advantage of the, the tribe of veterans that are out there. And I use that word tribe purposefully. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a book by that name uh, written by Sebastian Younger. It's, it's a great read and uh, focus on why surrounding yourself with a, a network of peers, veteran peers, uh, can ease that transition for you. Uh, it, it goes into a lot more detail around, uh, you know, how our society today differs from how other societies in the world today, as well as societies in past history that have better enabled the transition because there have been greater percentages of the population that, that have served. Uh, think about it. When if there's, you know, today there's less than one half of one percent that served on any time since active duty. Uh, if that were, say, you know, 10 to 15 percent, you know, approaching the, the great percentages that served in World War II, uh, when you left, would leave the military, there would be a great many of your peers that had served. Everyone would largely understand who you were uh, as a veteran, what you've done and what you could do. And that's just simply not the case today. So the more you can surround yourself with a tribe of peers, the easier that transition is going to be. Yeah. And, you know, I hate to just keep referencing past episodes here, but uh, if, if listeners haven't listened to uh, my, my interview with uh, Colonel Lee Ellis, uh, he was a POW at the Hanoi Hilton. Uh, he, he says the same exact thing uh, that, that Matt just said uh, is what helped them get through uh, that experience. You know, that, that having that group of peers that understood that, that kind of shared experience um, was, was what kept them uh, you know, it's an interesting fact in, in uh, Vietnam, like the general service population, they estimate PTSD rates around between what study you look at, 30 to 40 percent. But with the POWs of the Hanoi Hilton, it's down below three to four percent. And it's because of that. And so when we talk about that, that uh, equation to uh, 
to to modern PTSD rates and veteran suicide to what those guys went through, uh, and in that instance, I mean it's 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 exactly the same thing. It is very valuable. So I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, Colonel Hollis is really great work. I love his leading with honor website and the frequent videos he puts out. I was uh, honored to uh, speak with him at the America's Water Partnership Conference uh, about a year and a half ago, and. Uh, it was fortunate to to get my picture next to him. Just a wonderful individual, and brings forth a lot of life lessons all of us can carry forward. Uh, outstanding, outstanding. Yeah, it was it was a great conversation. Now, uh, so a minute ago, you brought up some uh, some statistics about how few organizations have yes. veteran recruitment programs. Uh, what 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 advice do you have? For an organization who's sitting here listening to this and saying, oh, crap, that's me, to start one. Yep. Uh, so l- let me, before I jump into that, let me paint the, the picture a little uh, clearer uh, just to give folks uh, some perspective of what I call the civil military gap as well as what I'm trying to do about it. Okay. Uh, so I, I, I'm sure many of your listeners have heard the term, but just to quantify it a little bit, I, I threw out the statistic earlier about the number of people that have served in active duty post 9-11. Uh, well, you know, we're several generations on now since uh, World War II, Korea, et cetera. Uh, but within the course of a, well, given my age, I'll still say a single generation, but let's peg it at 1980. Uh, since in 1980, the, the number of people uh, running the corporate world, I'll call it the, the Fortune 1000, uh, the percentage of those that had experience in the military was somewhere between 35 and 40 percent. It, it makes sense. You know, the World War II Korea generation was, had transitioned and had, had climbed the ladder in many of those organizations by that. Well, what would you peg that percentage at today? What would you oh, guess? Oh, I would say it's it's if it's above if it's if it's in the double digits, I'd be surprised. Yeah, it's it's about two and a half percent. Whoa! And uh, even if you include all the board members, it's still less than five percent. And and mm. all those percentages are going to continue to head south. Uh, in the coming decades. And that's just a simple matter of the American population going one way and the military population going another way. And so how that flip those percentages around, if if I'm coming out, uh, sitting across the desk uh, from an individual uh, interviewing for a role, uh, you know, there's better than a 97% uh, chance that the individual has no idea who I am as a veteran, what I've done, what I can do. So that, that's a huge gap that we as veterans need to overcome. Uh, in addition to you know, everything else that I just talked about, all the different cultural dimensions, simply having people understand all of those things. And there's a shared responsibility as I see it. Some would go, go so far as to say a moral responsibility uh, to understand uh, who these folks are, uh, what they've done, and what they can do. Uh, and researching both of these books, there's far more written on the veterans side and far more organizations out there available uh, to support the veterans in their transition. Uh, far fewer uh, on uh, the, the side to help individual organizations structure programs uh, and get them up and running to help uh, the veteran with that, you know, the, the final final mile or half mile, however you want to characterize it, uh, to actually not, not just get them in the door, but to help them successfully acclimate and assimilate into their organizations. Um, I, I, again, I've, I'll point to my second book, 
to which HarperCollins also laid claim. It's not yet published, uh, but I, I hope to have it out soon enough. Yeah, well, when you do, let me know, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll try to get you back on. But, um, you know, so you, you you mentioned something there or when you were talking about the 2.5%, um, and I don't know if you have any numbers on these or not, so this kind of maybe coming out of left field. But so how much of that is due to kind of a cultural shift in what the, the, the path after service kind of looks like? And when I say that, I, I mean specifically with – how easy it is to be an entrepreneur uh, now. So, you know, I'm sure some of the listeners and, and, and you are familiar with, you know, we mentioned Corey Schaffer sure. with the Till Valhalla Project. You know, right. uh, Matt Best is killing it with all the Black Rifle and all this other good stuff he's doing. Right. you got uh, groups like uh, you know, right. Grunt Style. And, I mean, like, there's a lot of veteran sure. entrepreneurship going on. So how does that hit those numbers, do you think? Yeah. So it's entrepreneurship is uh, one of many points on a decision tree. You, you'll see within the first couple chapters of the book, uh, I walk folks through what all of the practical options are from a career standpoint for you, what the skills, abilities it takes uh, to succeed in those fields. And one of them is certainly entrepreneurship. You know? And, you know, a couple of organizations whose names I'll throw out that, that help individuals through that process are people like Bunker Labs uh, or there's an organization called 1836 Veterans in Houston, mm-hmm. um, you know, all of which are a, attempt to help aspiring entrepreneurs uh, through the process of getting a, a business plan established, initial funding uh, and what have you. Uh, I would throw out a caution, and you'll see this in the book as well, uh, that while there are success stories, and you've noted a few, uh, there's far more on average uh, that that don't succeed. And so I, my caution would be, go, go with the passion, but if the passion involves entrepreneurship or its variance, and, uh, then you know, there should be a, a plan B somewhere on the horizon. You want to be careful about how much you commit uh, while there are those success stories I'd point to, I, I'd hate to see you as a transitioning veteran blow, you know, whatever cash reserve you had uh, attempting to, to bring your, your dream to life. And the percentages tell us that uh, it's more than likely not to be a success. And that's, I, I, again, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer or poo-poo uh, what you're doing. I'm simply referring to the percentages, even even though veterans are more uh, successful percentage-wise as entrepreneurs, uh, the percentages would still say that even veterans uh, fail more than they would succeed in entrepreneurial ventures. Mm. So, yeah, and, and, and uh, no, I, I like the last piece there because, uh, yes, entrepreneurship is not to be taken lightly, and, and uh, but there's a reason that veterans succeed a little bit more, and it ties in with uh, – you know, there's been a lot of, of papers written. Uh, I've read a few on Harvard Business Review lately, and, and Google even has a lot of research out there about uh, hiring practices and, and looking for more of the, the soft skills like uh, adaptability, dependability, uh, the, the, uh, just the ability to operate in an ever-changing environment. And, you know, I'm, I'm reading these skill sets, and I'm thinking – Veteran, 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 veteran. That's right. Uh, so how uh, is it – I'm going to phrase the question this way. Is it more important for a veteran 
to really focus on those skills versus the the harder skills? Would that be a good way to to separate yourself in the job hunt process? Well, again, I'd go back to the the who before what. Uh, Veterans bring with them, again, depending on what their specialty was in the military. Some of those translate directly. Uh, Examples like you and I, (laughs) not so much. Uh, But even though our hard skills didn't necessarily translate, we bring a ton of soft skills to bear. Uh, So again, depending on where your personal passions are going to direct you, your strengths, uh, you know, you can leverage those. And in some case, uh, you can point to specific hard skills you had in the military and or soft skills. Everyone, regardless of what their military specialty is, brings forth those soft skills. You know, a, a study I always point to from uh, Syracuse University's Institute for Military Veterans uh, and, and Families you know, they have kind of a 10-point bullet list of what veterans bring with them in a competitive business environment. And I'll just rattle off some of the what they say vets bring with them. Entrepreneurial is, is number one. You know, high levels of trust that they bring. They're adept at skills transfer, uh, advanced technical training, uh, comfortable with discontinuous environments, high levels of resiliency, team building skills, organizational commitment. Uh, cross-cultural experience and uh, experience in diverse work settings. I mean, we, regardless of what service you were in or where you served, those are all things that you're going to bring with you. And uh, so if, if nothing else, as far as it gets sometimes, uh, take heart that at a minimum that that's what you're bringing. And that alone uh, could put you heads above some of your competition from some of the roles you're seeking. Yeah, no, uh, I like that. And So I'm going to take a little bit of a turn here because we've been talking about hard skills, soft skills, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, One of the things that I love that you have listed on your website, MatthewJLewis.com, under your resources, you actually have have a, a list called the Wardrobe Basic Load. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, what what I love about this is like anybody who's been in the military sees this. I love the way it reads. It reads like a, a standard gear list. Yeah. But, you know, the 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 appearance, getting ready for an interview, uh, it, that that's pretty doggone important, too. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you, thank you for pointing that out, by the way. Uh, to, to your listeners, let me just say, while you get the book, <laughs> it's available anywhere books are sold. HarperCollins, the publisher, one of the largest in the world. Uh, what I found through this process, it is my first book, is uh, HarperCollins had word limits. And my manuscript was about 25,000 words longer than uh, the word limits would allow. And so I had to cut quite a bit. Uh, all of which you will find for free uh, out there on my website. Uh, under that resources tab, I've organized it by you know, type of resource that it is. And among those is exactly what Earl's calling out there, uh, the, the wardrobe basic load. And, and again, just as that reads, it, it's similar to the way the book's structured. Again, it's it's a field manual, you know, crawl, walk, run, step one, two, three. It's the kind of stuff you should uh, take to implicitly. So what? Um, so with with the the appearance thing in mind, yeah. what would you say is one of the number one mistakes a veteran makes going into an interview? Uh, as it relates to appearance, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, demeanor, I, I, appearance, attitude, that sort of thing. 
Yeah, I think it's stressing the part. So, you know, you should have some intelligence ahead of time around what the culture and expectations of the organization are. And if you don't know anyone that works there, at a minimum, you know, speak with a receptionist to try to uh, uncover this. It, what is the, the typical attire at the organization? Is it business casual? Is it business formal? Uh, is it, if you're in a manufacturing environment, is it, uh, you know, uh, steel-toed boots? Wh- whatever it is, uh, understand that and go in for the interview one level above what that is. And so, you know, if it's a manufacturing environment, maybe you come in in business casual. If it's business casual, maybe come into the interview in in business formal. Uh, You know, different industries uh, have different cultures. The the typical stereotype out there about the the technical industry uh, largely being loose. Uh, But I don't think you should show up in your interview, you know, in jeans that those individuals might be wearing every day. I would at least go into the interview one notch above that in a, a business casual setting. So that's, you ask, what's the, the one thing to consider? Uh, and it's having that. And then the, the, the resource there, depending on what that uh, answer looks like, kind of walks you through uh, how to look that part. Okay. Well, so I, I mentioned the website, Matthew J. Lewis. It's all one word together. Uh, MatthewJLewis.com, and I'll have links uh, uh, to that in, in the show notes. Uh, but if anybody has any questions, would like to get a hold of you for anything, how can they go about that? Yeah, there's a contact uh, link on the website itself, or you can just email me directly. It's Matt, M-A-T-T, at MatthewJLewis.com, Lewis as in St. Louis. So I uh, look forward to hearing from your listeners and happy to help them out any way I can. Oh, running. And uh, you mentioned, so you've got your first book, Mission Transition, is listed on there. It is. You, you mentioned a second book uh, coming. Do you have any any uh, timeline on, on that? Well, <laughs> that'll be largely up to, to HarperCollins. Uh, but I, it, tentative title, and the title may well change, but it's uh, simply titled Hiring Veterans. There's a subtitle. Uh, but I'll also... Um, be publishing as part of my work serving on the board of the Tri-State Veteran Community Alliance, a white paper uh, today, in fact, that will link uh, incomplete or unsatisfactory transition to veteran suicide and post 9-11 population. Uh, that, that should be out on my website here soon. Uh, so uh, that's it. And it's specific to timeline. Uh, I would I would only be guessing. Okay. The only thing I've learned <laughs> in publishing this is uh, the publishing world moves rather slowly. Uh, but I, I will get it out there as soon as I possibly can. Well, Matt, before we look to uh, to wrap things up here, I always like to ask this last question, and sometimes it leads into more discussion. Is there anything we didn't get a chance to talk about uh, during our discussion that you would like to mention? Well, I, I, I want to leave on an up note. Uh because uh, it's, it's why I wrote the book. It, I'm, I'm here to, to help transitioning veterans bridge that gap, as I defined it earlier. Uh, you're going to struggle. It may be the first time in your adult life you've had to, to go through some of these things, to consider who you are as a person, to interview for roles, and to, to find your, your new landing spot in the real world. Uh, so take advantage of resources like Mission Transition. Take advantage of the things I got posted on my website. Take advantage of the, the tribe of brothers and sisters, all of whom are out there awaiting uh, your presence and uh, to support you as part of that effort. Um, 
So I guess I'll, I'll leave you with that. And uh, again, offer my, my help and support any way that I can. Oh, no, I love it. And I, I appreciate the work you're doing. Uh, you know, I mean, it's extremely valuable. We've kind of touched on the veteran suicide epidemic a little bit. Uh, you know, I think this is a great way to put a, put a dent in that amongst some other things. So, uh, you know, I love, I love your mission. I love what you're doing. I love the purpose behind it. Uh, yeah, just, just keep on trucking, brother. I really appreciate it. Yeah, Earl, thanks so much for having me, especially in this uh, environment of COVID-19. <laughs> I hope everybody out there uh, stays safe and healthy. And by the time you're hearing this, uh, I hope we're all uh, well on our way to back to normal. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, amen to that. Um, and to uh, to my listeners, you know, again, uh, reach out to Matt. We'll have the information on, on uh, the page and how to get a hold of him. Uh, you know, if you have any questions for me, uh, I'm also happy to, to help. Uh, I'll be one of those resources that, that Matt talks about, part of your network there. Uh, you can reach out to me. The easiest way is burden.command at gmail.com. Uh, again, Matt, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it. I, I love uh, the conversation we had and, and just thank you for taking some time out of your busy schedule to be with us. Thanks so much, Earl. I look forward to sharing it with everybody. Absolutely. And listeners, again, if you have any comments, questions, or concerns, burden.command at gmail.com. Make sure, if this is your first time listening, make sure that you get subscribed to the podcast so you get these fresh uh, every Monday. Uh, Hit me with any ideas you have, any feedback for the show. Rate, review the show, anything you can do, share it out. We just appreciate it. It all helps us get a little bit more exposure to great guests like, uh, like Matt here. So with that, thank you for your time, and I look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode. Electric Acid. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for The The Candle Candle Power Power Hour. Electric Acid.